Good morning, I'm Mike Overstreet. I am one of the pastors here at Element 3 Church and thank you for joining us on this live stream this morning. This week, we are nearing the end of our journey in God Part 2. This series that we've spent the last few months in as we've explored how in the Gospel of Matthew, the story of Jesus operates in this really unique way. It's this unique thing where the Gospel of Matthew sees Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as a sequel story to one of the most important stories in the Old Testament the Exodus story, the story of God rescuing his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt to make them a conduit for their blessing, for his healing, and for his purposes in the world. And what we've seen is that the central claim, the central conviction of the Gospel of Matthew is that in Jesus, what we find is God writing a new Exodus story. That in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, we're going to find God's ultimate actions of rescue and liberation not just for the Israelites, but for his whole world. In the last few weeks, we have been just sitting in the climax of that story. Jesus, as the Messiah, the Son of God, God made flesh, has arrived in Jerusalem at Passover to call God's people to embrace his new Exodus mission, to enter the kingdom of God here and now. And this message has brought him into confrontations with Israel's current leadership. And rather than accepting Jesus' challenge and his message, we have seen that the leaders of Israel have instead come to see Jesus as a threat, a threat to their power, a threat to their worldview, a threat to their status in their society. And ultimately, this is going to begin to lead us to the final moments of our story because they have begun to plot to have Jesus arrested, tried, and executed, something that will succeed in the next few days of Jesus' life. And yet, in this tragedy, what Jesus has said over and over and over again in the Gospel of Matthew is that God is going to use this moment to bring about a great reversal. Somehow, God is going to use the death of his son to achieve his ultimate purposes in the world, to defeat evil and death and to bring about the ultimate purpose of God's entire story, God's ultimate exodus, liberation for his good world. And this sets up the conclusion of Jesus' new Exodus story, which we are going to be diving into throughout Holy Week this week. We're going to use this gathering, we're going to use next Sunday on Easter, and then videos throughout the week to really try to understand what Jesus' death and resurrection means in the Gospel of Matthew, how it acts as the culmination of this new Exodus of God. And today, we're going to take our first step in that journey. See, we are going to explore what Jesus says his death means through a scene where he most directly teaches about it in the whole gospel. But what's fascinating is that Jesus doesn't teach about this moment in the way that we'd expect as a 21st century American person. You see, we would expect him to teach us through a lecture or by giving a theological dissertation, and he has no interest in doing that. No, instead, what Jesus does is a Jewish rabbi and a Jewish Messiah speaking to a number of first century Jewish disciples is that he discusses and he lays out what this crucial moment of his story means through a meal. And it's not just any meal. It's a meal that Jesus has built his entire ministry to intentionally overlap with. A meal that retells the most important story in Israel's history. And y'all, I wish you were here because I know you'd get it by this point. What story do you think that is? It's the Exodus story. It is this meal called the Passover Seder. And it is a fascinating piece of Jewish tradition. Now, for those new to the Bible and to the Old Testament in particular, I want to walk through what the Passover Seder was. You see, the Passover Seder begins the Hebrew calendar 
and kicks off the first religious celebration of the Jewish year called the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which generally teaches symbolically um, and retells Israel's story of wandering in the wilderness. And the Passover was the meal that begins this festival. And specifically what it tells is it symbolically retells the story of the Exodus that leads to that journey in the wilderness. The story of Israel's liberation out of Egypt and God's victory over the evil Pharaoh. And this meal and this celebration is why Jesus has come to Jerusalem at this time in the first place. He has come to celebrate the Passover. And in his last hours, he's going to do something amazing. He's going to take this meal. He's going to reorient it. He's going to take its symbols. He's going to reapply them. And he's going to tie his death to them. In other words, he's going to use this meal to tie his coming death to the culmination of the Exodus story using the Passover to teach his disciples and us what the climax of his story is all about. And we're going to explore that scene today, a scene in Christian tradition that we have come to call the Last Supper. And you've probably seen the picture of, you know, Da Vinci where Jesus and all of his friends are sitting on one side of a table, which is super weird. That's not how anyone eats. But modern day, it would probably look more like this. You know, they'd probably be zooming in. So keep that in your mind as we go through this meal, right? And see, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to explore this meal, hopefully in a unique way. See, I want to walk through the text. I want to walk through the story of the Last Supper. But I also want to walk through the Passover that it's meant to overlap with. Because I believe you have to get the Passover meal if you want to understand what Jesus is trying to teach us in this scene of the Last Supper and what he's trying to say is going on at the culmination of his new Exodus story. Now, a brief point of order, you need to understand this is a very high level view. The actual Passover Seder would take hours and Pastor Lori has told me I am not allowed to do that and that she would murder me if I did. So we're only going to go through parts of the meal, specifically the parts of the meal that Jesus references in this shortened text in the Gospel of Matthew. And with that in mind, we are going to dive in. We start in Matthew 26, 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. So, on Jesus' final days, he has his disciples gather the elements of the Passover to get it set up, and then the meal is about to begin. And everything that follows is deeply symbolic. You have to keep that in mind. It's trying to tell a story with each of its elements. So to begin, the Passover meal is broken into four different parts centered around the most important element of any true party, and that is good wine. There are four glasses or four refills of wine that are going to separate out each section of the meal. So the meal kicks off with the first glass of wine. It starts with a blessing, Lord, our God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. You would then drink the cup, cheers, and the meal would begin. Now, from here, we reach the first major symbolic element of the meal. It's this thing called the dipping of the carpus. Now, what is that? See, what you would do is you would take a piece of lettuce or parsley and you would dip it in a bowl of salt water. You would say a blessing over it. You would eat it and then you'd be done with that part. And already you may not know it, but we are symbolically retelling the Exodus story. 
You see, this is all about how God's people ended up in Egypt in the first place. If you go back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you're going to find that God promises to restore and heal and bless his world by working through one family. He makes this eternal commitment to be the God of this family of a man named Abraham. And if you go down the story of Genesis, you're going to go down the stories of Abraham's family line, and eventually you're going to come to one of his descendants, this guy named Joseph. And Joseph's story sets up the Exodus story. You see, Joseph was a punk kid. He was an arrogant brat. And essentially what happens is he gets into conflict with his brothers who are really sick of all the trash he's talking. And they overreact in the most ultimate way ever. And they throw him in slavery in Egypt. They basically sell him to slave drivers who take him to Egypt. An action that they cover up by taking the coat that he was wearing, tearing it, dipping it in lamb's blood, and then telling their father that he was mauled by wild beast. Hold that in your mind. But as the story goes, through God's faithfulness to Joseph, Joseph ends up rising out of slavery to become one of the most powerful men in Egypt. He ends up becoming actually like the second in command under Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And eventually, due to a famine that strikes the land, he actually ends up using this position that his slavery brought him to, to save his family from starvation. It's a story about reconciliation, the healing of this family, and it ends with Joseph relocating his family to Egypt so he can take care of them in this time of famine. So, in this interpretation of the meal, what is the karpas all about? Well, it's the symbolic dipping of Joseph's coat in the lamb's blood. We're symbolically acting out and remembering what brought God's people to Egypt in the first place, what sets up the Exodus story, the story of betrayal, reconciliation, and redemption. So with that in mind, let's briefly pop in on Jesus's Passover Seder. We pick up in verse 21, and while they were eating, so they've dipped the carpus, it's taken place already, they're celebrating, it's festive, it's a, it's a retelling of this exciting story, and then Jesus does what he always does, he's a total buzzkill. He said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were all sad, as you would be. And they began to say to him, one after another, surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl will betray me. Like, will you to kill the mood, Jesus? Now, if you've read the Gospels before, you know that there is one famous disciple of Jesus who betrays him in a famous scene. It's this guy named Judas. He sells him out to the religious leaders and ultimately is the one who helps get him arrested. So we're like, boom, Judas must be busted. He must have been the one to dip his hand in the bowl with Jesus, which means that Jesus has exposed him to everyone. But, I mean, that doesn't make sense because when you read the text, they all start bumbling after one another. Surely you don't mean me. See, this is interesting. Think about it. Who amongst Jesus' disciples has dipped their hand in the same bowl at him by this point in the scene? They all have. They've all taken part in the dipping of the carpus, which means that all of them are the ones that will betray him. You see, Judas betrays Jesus uniquely, but all of them, if you know the story, will abandon him in his time of need. They're all going to run away. They're going to leave him to the crucifixion, and they're going to betray him. So Jesus is already using and reorienting this meal to tell his story over the next few hours. Like Joseph, he is going to be betrayed by his brothers. But like Joseph, God is going to use that betrayal to bring about his reconciliation and 
redemption. It's a powerful use of these elements. Now from there, the meal would continue on. And at this point, we move into the next major section of the Passover Seder. Having set up the Exodus story, the meal then retells the Exodus story by reading in this back and forth question and answer way, three chapters from it. And I won't do that, I promise you, but I do need to summarize the story to help us get in the right mindset of what's coming next. So what is the Exodus story about? Well, it's the rosy picture of Joseph and his family in Egypt doesn't last long. Eventually, Joseph dies, the Pharaoh he was friends with dies, and a new Pharaoh comes to power. And that Pharaoh is not a fan of the Israelites. The story says that they have grown too big in population. He starts to fear them and their their power within his land. So to help suppress them, he orders the Israelites enslaved and begins working them to death. And eventually, they keep growing in their bondage. So out of fear, he commits to one of the most horrifying acts of violence in the Bible, this moment of genocide, where the Pharaoh orders the execution of the Israelite male babies. And this is where this Exodus story picks up for us fully. You see, you would read what comes next in the meal. God's people cry out in this horrible moment of oppression. They cry out to the God of their story, the God of Abraham. And God hears the cries of his people in their suffering and bondage. And ultimately, in response, God comes to save them. He raises up a deliverer for his people, a man named Moses, who he sends to confront Pharaoh's evil and ultimately defeat Pharaoh. And it's a series of confrontations that bring about this ultimate victory of God. It's a series of 10 confrontations or what we have come to call 10 plagues. 10 times in the story, Moses and God confront Pharaoh and they call him to stop oppressing God's people. And each time, Pharaoh refuses. He actually ups it another level. That is, until we reach the final confrontation, the Passover, where Pharaoh finally is defeated. He relents and he lets God's people go. And that's what this dinner is building to, this Passover moment. See, what it's trying to do is it's trying to focus us. It's trying to get us to key in on one central theme, God's building story of liberation the moment where God heard the cries of his people enslaved in bondage and came down to defeat evil and to set them free, to rescue them. So the meal is retelling this story. It's building to this. And once we're done telling these three chapters of the Exodus, we would move to our second cup. We would lift the glass. We would sing Psalm 114. And then we would say a blessing, Lord, our God, King of the world who creates the fruit of the vine you drink. Cheers. And with the retelling done, we move into the heart of the meal. where We find what many rabbis believe are the three most crucial aspects of any Passover meal. And they are crucially important to retelling the Exodus and for understanding what Jesus builds to. The three elements are the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, and the Passover lamb. So first, there's the unleavened bread. It's this unraised bread made without yeast. It's this flat bread like this. And you're probably wondering why you would make unraised bread without yeast. Maybe you've watched the Great British Baking Show. You know that they're really hard on people who don't give their bread enough time to rise. Well, that's because you need to read the Exodus story. You see, right before the Passover comes, this final confrontation that defeats the evil Pharaoh and liberates the Israelites, God's people are told by God to prepare for their journey by making unleavened bread, unraised bread without yeast. And you're like, why would you do that? Well, God says it's because they are leaving tonight. 
He says, you don't have time to wait for your bread to rise because I am about to act to set you free and you gotta be ready to move. So this unleavened bread was a symbol of God's people being ready for his liberation to come. It was a reminder of how he worked decisively to defeat evil and to rescue his people from Egypt in the middle of the night. So you would make this unleavened bread for the Passover meal to remember God's liberation. You would take it, you would bless it, you would break it, you would eat it to remember God's liberation story. And wouldn't you know it, right in this moment of the dinner, Jesus is gonna reorient this element too. You see, in verse 26, we read, while they're eating, Jesus took the unleavened bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. So Jesus takes the bread that symbolizes God's liberation work. He blesses it and then he breaks it and gives it to his disciples to eat saying the most bizarre phrase of the Bible, this is my body, take and eat it. Like, what does that mean? Well, I think this is all about what Jesus sees coming over the next few hours. What do you do to make bread? You smash it, you beat it, you roll it, and you bake it through the fire. And then on the other side of that fire, it's broken and you eat it to stay alive. So Jesus takes this symbol of the Exodus, the symbol of God's liberation, the symbol of life, and he says, this is what's gonna happen to me. My body is gonna be beaten, it's gonna be broken, it's gonna pass through the fire. But somehow on the other side, it will become a source of life for those who wish to eat from it. It will become something broken and given to others to give them life, something to be shared for the life of our world. Jesus says, this is what my death is gonna mean. And then this would have moved into that second element, which is connected. It's the bitter herbs. And you, you would take, what you would do is you would take this next bowl, and you would take some of the bread or a piece of vegetable and you would eat from what's in this next bowl, which is full of chopped horseradish. Now, if you've ever had raw horseradish, it's bitter. And it has one purpose in this meal and that is to make you cry. I mean, it is brutal if you've ever been to a Seder. And what this is, is a symbol of the suffering of Israel under its enemies in Egypt when God's people wept bitterly in their oppression. And what rabbis throughout history teach us is that it wasn't, or that it was meant to remind every generation of God's people each year at Passover that they too find themselves in the story of God's people in slavery, that they too are a generation that needs Exodus liberation. See what the bitter herbs are all about is they're here to remind us that we aren't just supposed to retell and have head knowledge about the Exodus story. We're supposed to find ourselves in it. That we, with every generation, need to understand that we are gonna face our own pharaohs or we're gonna become the pharaoh over other people. So we eat the bitter herb each year to remember of what, or to remember what evil has done, what evil still does, and what it's gonna keep doing. We cry bitterly for what has gone wrong in our world and where we've been part of causing that wrong in our world. And then we turn to God in that understanding of our grief and we cry out for liberation and rescue. We cry out to God to make right what's gone wrong. And this would now bring us to the climax of the Passover Seder. The final key symbolic element 
the Passover lamb. You see, in the Exodus, God confronts Pharaoh in the final time by ultimately turning his evil upon himself. He takes this moment where Pharaoh slaughtered Israel's babies and he turns it upon Pharaoh's household. But unlike Pharaoh, God gives everyone in the story a way out. See, the Israelites, the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, even the Pharaoh are given an opportunity to take part in this ritual that the Passover meal represents. As the story goes, anyone who trusted God and killed and ate the Passover lamb and marked their door with it would be passed over by this final confrontation where God opposes evil. But as we know in the story, Pharaoh does not take the invitation and ultimately God confronts Pharaoh this one last time. Pharaoh and his evil are defeated. And what's the end result? God's people are liberated in this dramatic moment of confrontation. And this is the whole point. This is what the Passover meal is building to. This is what it's trying to retell. It's all leading us to focus on one thing, rescue and liberation of enslaved and bound people. Here is where Jesus' Passover Seder reaches its climax. But notice, you're going to notice that Jesus doesn't bring a lamb. I mean, this is crazy. It's like leaving out the turkey for Thanksgiving. You're forgetting the most important element of the meal. We read in verse 27, instead, he took the cup again. This is not the order of the meal. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount olives. So Jesus moves straight to the next cup and then just closes the Passover meal with the final singing of hymns. And this is fascinating, right? He lifts the cup, he blesses it, and then he reorients it around himself. He says, this is my blood poured out for the new covenant and the forgiveness of sin. There is no lamb in his meal. He predicts his own sacrificial death instead as the climax of the dinner. And I just want you to think about what this means because it says some profound things. In this new Exodus story, Jesus, God made flesh, the Messiah says he will play the role of the Passover sacrifice that brings about what? Rescue and liberation for God's good world. And this is profound. In the first Exodus, the Passover lamb was used by God to defeat an empire, to defeat the evil Pharaoh. But in this new Exodus, it's the willful sacrifice of the son of God that brings God's ultimate liberation. And as we're gonna come to see, it's because he doesn't wanna just defeat a Pharaoh. This time, God in this new Exodus is here to deal with the root of all the Pharaohs of our world. He has come to deal with evil itself. And through this dinner, Jesus teaches us how he's going to do that. Over the next few days, God is going to take on evil. and He's going to beat it by letting it do its worst to him. He's going to take all that it has to offer, all of the weapons of evil in our world, abandonment, abuse, torture, and then its ultimate weapon, death. And yet, on the other side of it doing and throwing at him all it's got, he is going to prove that for the Son of God, it has no power over him. Through this great reversal we've been building to, God is going to bring about resurrection from death. And in doing so, he will proclaim death and evil defeated. He will proclaim victory over it. He will say in this moment of the new Passover that the liberation of God's exodus 
has finally arrived, not just for the Israelites, but for everyone who understand how evil comes to an end. A new Exodus moment where God hears the cries of all people and enters into our world to meet us where we are at, to love us fully, to forgive and deal with what's gone wrong, to call in all the tribes and to bring about the liberation of what needs to be healed, the human heart, by inviting us into a new kind of humanity, freed from the broken cycles that bind our world, the cycles of violence and hate. This is a humanity of self-sacrifice, not power and oppression, of forgiveness, not retaliation, of love, not hate. This is what Jesus has been teaching us this entire time. A new covenant people that can break what has destroyed our world. This is the invitation of the new exodus through this moment. A new exodus defined by God bringing about a moment of resurrection and new life from what we call death which means that when it's all said and done, God is going to announce definitively that evil and death will not get the last word on his good world because it did not get the last word on his good son. Through this new sacrifice, it will be defeated once and for all. This is the culmination of Jesus' upside-down kingdom story. It's this new Passover. It's this new sacrifice that brings about the liberation of our world, who shows us a different way in how we respond to and defeat evil in all that it does. And he tells us to repeat this new Passover meal over and over again, to remember it and to participate in it whenever we meet. Jesus wants this meal to be something that shapes us, that does something to us, that makes us into who we were created to be as the church, a new Exodus people, a people who regularly remember their need for liberation from their bondage, a people who never forget that they live in a story about a God who will stop at nothing to see his world heal, even sacrificing himself for the rescue of the lost, a people who never stop seeking to be that liberation in our world and how they treat others, how they treat our world, and how they live a different way a people who retell and find themselves within the new exodus that comes on the other side of people who proclaim that death is defeated through resurrection and new life. So with that, we are going to move into this time of Holy Week, a week that remembers Christ's new exodus sacrifice. And we're going to enter it doing what our King called us to do, remembering and participating in his meal, his story, his sacrifice, and once we get to Easter, his resurrection victory. But we can't get to the resurrection without the crucifixion first. So we remember it by taking part in the new Passover meal of communion that he gave us at the Last Supper. At this time, I'm going to invite those of you who bought supplies for communion to get them out. I'm going to invite you to serve one another during this next song. For those that don't, I still want you to be engaged though. I invite you into a space of remembering, remembering the story that Jesus gives us. Remember what it's all about, this sacrifice and this liberation. And for all of us, I invite you to reflect on this meal during this last song. I'm just going to give you a couple of questions. First, where do you need to find God's story of liberation in your life? Where do you need to remember that this sacrifice is meant to break you free of the chains that bind you in the cycles of our world? Second, 
Where do you need to remember your hope in this season? Where do you need to remember that Jesus' story bends eternally towards hope? Because for him, evil will not get the final word on this world. Where do you need to hope again? And finally, where do you need to participate in the story of the new exodus through self-sacrifice and seeking the liberation of others in this season? Where do you need to be a part of healing our world and how you live and how you treat others in it? So, reflect on that song and join me in participating in the Lord's Supper. On the night he gave himself for us, he took bread. He gave thanks to his father. He broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup He gave thanks to you. He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Help this meal do what it was created to do. Help it shape us. Help us remember. Help it transform us into who we were made to be, a people of the new exodus, a people of divine liberation. We thank you for your sacrifice, and we pray that you would help us live it out in our world. Amen.